Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. Another edition of Turn Out a Punk. I'm your host, Damien Abraham. And once again, I'm bringing you a conversation with someone who grubbles in a punk, may or may not still be involved in punk, but had their life changed by the genre in a major way. And today on the show, one of the great documentarians of the early LA punk scene and of also the Seattle scene and the grunge explosion and, and heavy metal, like an amazing photographer, Allison Braun is on the show today. And if you're not familiar with her name, she's also known as Mouse, but if you're not familiar with Allison by name, you certainly are familiar with her images. More on that in one second. But first, if you want to get in touch with me, you can head over to the email address, turnedoutapunkpodcast at gmail.com. That is run by my brother and show producer and guest booker extraordinaire, Tristan Abraham, and he will get the message to me as soon as he can. You can also find me on Twitter and Instagram at left for damien And if you want to support the show, the best way to support the show is by telling everyone you know about this thing. You can also... Subscribe to it and rate it, or head over to uh, patreon.com slash punk. And thank you, thank you, thank you to all the people that do that and support the show over there. Very much appreciated. Also, a uh, huge thank you to the fine folks at Vans who came aboard a few years ago and started supporting this show, saying, Damien, do your show. Just don't do it out of your own pocket, and we will help you cover the cost of this thing. And they have, and it's been fantastic, and I can book whoever I want, and that's that's great. That's all I want to do is have the show and nerd the fuck out with people about punk. And uh, they allow me to do that. So thank you to them. All right. On to today's show. Today on the show, Allison Mouse Braun is here. She is uh, responsible for some of the most iconic images in various publications over the years, like Maximum Rock and Roll. She shot for Flipside. We got the power. She's shot in social distortion records, albums. She is really one of the first people that was documenting that that first wave of Los Angeles hardcore as it was kind of coming in. And it's fascinating. Her stuff is amazing. She has an incredible uh, website and has an unbelievable book that I strongly recommend going out there and ordering. You can find that at alisonbraun.com. And uh, yeah, she is truly, truly a, a an amazing photographer. And then also someone that not only just documented that scene, but then she also starts documenting the LA metal stuff. As that's kind of coming in, supplanting punk as the dominant cultural force. I know it pains me to say that too in Los Angeles. And then ultimately she goes up to Seattle and shoots everything just before grunge really hit. So she's capturing a lot of those bands just as, just as it's kind of, you know, cusping. So she's got an amazing perspective on the evolution of this music and uh, an amazing person to talk to. Anyway, I'm not going to ramble on. You're going to hear it. Why am I hyping it for you? You're, you've, you've downloaded this podcast. Okay. So uh, sit back, 
relax, and enjoy Alison Braun on Turned Out a Allison, thank you so much for coming on the show. Oh, my pleasure. Thanks for having me. Well, as I was just telling you off air, I'm a huge fan of the images that you've shot over the years. And some of these, some of these images are burned into my mind. Like it feels like I was at the show just from looking at your photographs. <laughs> yeah, they're, 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 it's interesting that the memories that people get from them, those, some of those photos are almost 40 years old now. Oh yeah. Well, and it's funny. Cause like, you know, like just some of these images, you know, like obviously some of the, the bigger names guys, but even like the, that circle one image of the singer circle one of the cuckoo's nest. It's oh, just, yeah. That, that looks like it could be from a show like a week ago. Well, no, obviously not now a week ago, but like when there were shows like a week ago, like it feels mm -hmm. those images feel so timeless. Yeah. That's the beauty of black and white photography is that, you know, you can, you can look at an image and, and, and it has a timeless feel. Well, I'm going to get into all this with you, hopefully, okay. but I got to start this off the way they all start off, which is, okay. Allison, how did you get into punk rock? Do you remember the first time you ever came across the genre? Uh, you know, I, I, I believe, and again, I'm going back 40 years now. It was in the late 70s, uh, you know, maybe 1979, that I started hearing, um, you know, the bands from older friends, you know, mm -hmm. just things, bands like the Ramones and the Sex Pistols and um, Iggy Pop, just, you know, really old music. And I heard, you know, I heard that and I go, this is really interesting. You know, I like this, you know, it's, it's fast, it's angry. It was, you know, not too different from, from some of the, the, you know, heavier rock music like Black Sabbath I was listening to. And it, it just, it really, it really spoke to me. And I, around 1980, I met some older kids at um, a party and they were dressed as punks. And I thought, you know, these, these guys are cool, you know, and I hung out with them and they played me some music and I ended up becoming friends with them. And they ended up sort of taking me in and taking me to shows in Hollywood uh, in, you know, at the Starwood and at the whiskey and these, you know, kids were a couple of years older so they already had cars <laughs> and I, I just kind of came along for the ride and you know just got tossed into the scene you know just from the beginning like okay here we're at we're, we're now at the whiskey you know <laughs> going back before that you mentioned being in a black sabbath and, and oh yeah some, like the hard rock stuff where were you getting into like sort of like the heavier rock and roll at the time i was living in los angeles and i um you know couldn't listen to FM radio. I didn't like it then. So I went to record stores. You know, I don't know if people remember record stores, but used to be able to go into a record store and peruse the the stacks and listen to records. And, you know, it was it was an an event that's so far behind us now that nobody does that. And I used to love to go to record stores and look at the album art. And a couple of albums I bought were not because I heard of the band, or because I, I, I liked the album art. <laughs> mm -hmm. no, you, you had to judge a book by its cover, kind of, when you're buying these oh, records. Oh, totally. I'm buying, the, I'm buying, you know, Black Sabbath record. I'm like, this looks fun. You know, it looks <laughs> interest, interesting. And I also, you know, when my early punk days, I went and I bought a um, germ-free adolescence by the X-ray specs. I just, I love the cover. I mm -hmm. bought, um, I discovered The Clash by looking at London Calling and the picture of uh, Joe Strummer's smashing his guitar and that's how i heard about the clash was just looking at the record and thinking it was interesting 
it's amazing how yeah like these things are just so arresting you know especially because like all these covers look so different from you know i guess pop records at the time well just records in general i mean Mm -hmm. to buy if you look at an old album it's big it has big artwork on it they came with posters in them and holding an album is an event you know it was just like it's the art in and of itself it's sort of weird and anticlimactic when people get CDs and everything is shrunk or now you don't even get any CDs you just stream the music and the artwork is you know gone unless you look at a screen capture online yeah and now it's like a you know it's gone from being this CD which was you know how many inches four inches five inches, right to now like an inch <laughs> yeah and and you know this is not not punk rock but to your point one of the most arresting uh album covers I'd seen was an Elton John album cover it was um Captain Fantastic and the Brown Dirt Cowboy. And there is so much going on on that album cover that if you shrunk it down to CD size, you kind of miss the impact. (laughs) (laughs) Definitely. Um, So were you kind of aware of the sort of pre-punk, 70s punk stuff that was happening at the time? Like Uh, Runaways and Zolar X and those types of bands? Oh, yeah. I, I, um, I I lived in the Hollywood Hills and I had the benefit of growing up just you know, two miles from the Sunset Strip. So I had I had the benefit of being aware of the clubs in the Sunset Strip, being aware of the runaways, uh, being being aware of, you know, the record stores in the scene on the Sunset Strip, because that was pretty close to where I lived. And it was it was not hard to access. There was a really nice Tower Records on Sunset Boulevard that was very close to the clubs. And um, I used to go there and kind of peruse what was going on. And also um, Melrose Avenue at the time was big for punk rockers to go and hang out and walk the streets. And so that was, you know, all part of the Hollywood scene. So it was really easy to see what was going on before you even did anything, you know, mm-hmm. because it was Los Angeles. And and for that, I'm thankful that I didn't live in you know, another city that didn't have that rich nightlife that, that Hollywood had. Yeah. It's amazing. Cause Keith Morris was just on the podcast a couple of weeks ago and his, Hi, Keith. <laughs> exactly <laughs> uncle Keith ran the house, we call him. Um, but he, he was kind of going into this idea that, you know, like you look at CBGB's punk, you look at New York punk, you look at all these other things, like even, even the British punk, like Los Angeles is where we really get the punk that we know today. Like that's really where you get, the, the beginning of the slamming you know you get like so much stuff that we just associate with punk rock is really out of out of la more than it's out of new york yeah and and it's funny you should say you know mention keith i've known keith now almost uh, 40 years um he was <laughs> he, he was one of the first people i ever met when i shot a circle jerk show I, I became friendly with their original drummer lucky mm-hmm. and um i met keith through lucky and you know keith was just a, a really great guy, really interesting. And, you know, c- kind of one of the early friends that I made as a musician in, in the scene. Yeah. What was the first show you went to actually even before, I guess, punk rock, I guess, right. what, what was the first concert you went to? The first concert period. Um, well, I, I'd like to call my second concert, but the first concert I went to was in 1975. I saw Peter Frampton. Don't judge me. That's not um, bad. <laughs> my, my, my second concert I went to, was in 1976, I saw Kiss and Cheap Trick. Oh, wow. That's awesome. 
Yeah, that was that was the that was much more I was much more aware of that because I, I became aware of the photographers that were shooting Kiss and I I I, I thought I'm going to do that someday when I saw them. Like is that where you I guess that's the first interest you had in photography period seeing that at the Kiss show? No, my father was an amateur photographer mm -hmm. and he got me my first camera. And he had always been the guy with the camera and taking pictures. And he was really into photography. And it was, and it was a hobby that he and I shared together. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, I don't, I don't think he planned for me to go combing around, you know, Hollywood taking <laughs> pictures of, of punk rockers, but he, he endorsed photography as a, as a good hobby for me. That Kiss Cheap Trick show that you went to, it's amazing. Uh, there's been, a, I think, you know, maybe a half a dozen different people that have been on the show over the years that went to that show. If it's the same, <laughs> it must be the same one. Like, I can't imagine Kiss. Yeah, it was at the forum. Yeah. Yeah. It, yeah. yeah. It must, that must have been sort of like a watershed music moment for a lot of people that would wind up being that sort of formative first generation of punk rockers in LA. Oh, totally. And, and my dad took his camera and we talked, we took pictures at the show. <laughs> I wasn't in the pit. He had he had a um, a business acquaintance, and you know I don't I don't know what you know what the guy's real name was. My dad always called him Shady Shiky, <laughs> and Shady Shiky somehow would come up with tickets to Dodger games behind home plate, uh, tickets to Kiss when we wanted them, tickets to you know to Peter Frampton. I got tickets to the Cars because somehow shady shiky you know got these tickets and they were always really good tickets so i don't know what my dad did or who this guy was that got us tickets but when i say i wanted to go to concert my dad somehow would pro procure these tickets and then pawn me off on my sister so you know <laughs> so what was the uh i guess first punk rock show you wind up going to oh boy i have to think about that for a minute i believe it was an X show was it X and the Go Go's at the Whiskey? I'm gonna have to Google that. Um, but I'm I'm thinking it was a show at the Whiskey, and Belinda Carlisle was wearing a garbage bag as a dress. So let me I'm gonna Google that for a minute. <laughs> yeah. Uh, there it is. Oh, this was no, this was X and the Flesh Eaters in the Alley Cats. I was at that show. Oh, I'll have to look for it, but it was, yeah, it was, it was, it was, um, it was, a, you know, it was an X and Go-Go's at the Whiskey. Did you, but, did you shoot that show? Nope, nope, nope. The first show I shot was about a year later. Um, it was Wasted Youth and the Circle Jerks at the Whiskey. Oh, wow. was the first show that I shot. Yeah. That uh, was August of 1981. So I guess going back to the, that first sort of year that you're going to shows before you're shooting, were you like, were there other people around you that you noticed that were shooting at that time? Was that something you were like beginning to get more interested in and, and pick up on? Um, there was, there were a couple of photographers. Um, there was Ed Culver mm -hmm. and there was another photographer named Gary Leonard, who I, you know, who were around at the time. Um, those were, you know, the main photographers and there were, you know, a few people running around with cameras, but the ones that um, that I, I I was aware of were Gary and Ed. And what were those early shows like during that first year? Because it's such a transition point, I guess, for the, for punk rock in that city. Um, what was the shows like? I didn't I I, I didn't particularly find them. Um, they weren't violent. At least the ones that mm -hmm. I went to. I don't remember 
you know, they, they came later, mm-hmm. but I, I remember the shows at the whiskey specifically, cause I loved going to the whiskey. Um, I, it was a really good place to see a show. Everybody seemed to know each other. Um, you know, the whiskey's not that big and, you know, it's, it's very easy to just see people, you know, and it was very comfortable. Same thing with the Starwood. It was a very comfortable place to see shows. You know, they weren't, you know, it was, it was like a scene. It was, it was kind of intimate. Um, that's how I remember with the early days. Um, and then later when the shows got bigger and, you know, the, the, the scene got larger, it attracted, you know, different kinds of people. And, you know, I think that, that it forments, you know, a greater opportunity for conflict. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It was, it's funny you bring, well, not funny, I guess, but you, you bring that up. And, and so once again, so many people have brought that up and just so many interpretations of what that meant and what that was like, just the changeover that happened where this sort of smaller community thing that you're talking about kind of got superseded by this much larger sort of punk rock, hardcore, I guess, hardcore punk rock explosion coming from yeah. the suburbs mainly. Totally. And and I was, where I lived was, um, I lived in the Hollywood Hills, but I went to school in the Valley. So, you know, I was, I was, you know, also acquainted with things in like the more suburban area as well and was there like was it people like that you knew and met from that first year being driven out like i've heard so many things but like almost like a complete turnover that kind of happens oh what do you mean like just people like stop going to shows because of you know violence starting to creep in there i i personally don't i've never met anybody that says i'm not going to go to shows because they're too violent i i was not um I was not, you know, that's not something I saw. Mm-hmm. I was like losing the words there. Mm-hmm. No, it's funny. Cause like, what, you know, there's so many interpretations of it too that have come up here where there's, you know, uh, people that have been on the show saying, yeah, like, like what you're saying, like, I didn't really see it. Like, that. Oh, I found the show. I found uh, it. Yeah. <laughs> it was uh, May of 1980 X at the whiskey. Oh, and, that's yeah, yeah, and I don't know if that's the Go Go's might have been a different show, but yeah, that was the. I'm looking at the pictures now. Like there it is. <laughs> thank so you, what, thank you, Google. <laughs> yeah, well, it's 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 like that's the other thing. Like these images, as timeless as they are, they're now kind of like all over the world in a way that you know, Flipside and books just couldn't be. You know, like this is now these images are are everywhere. Yeah. And, you know, Flipside, funny you should say that they were the first publication to publish my work. Yeah, no, I remember I actually read something you wrote where you mentioned that. Like, yeah, were you a fan of the zine prior to submitting to it? You must have been right. Yeah, I was a fan of the zine. Um, It was, you know, it was everywhere. It was at like record stores, you know, on the racks and I would pick it up and I would read read it and I'd buy it. And, uh, you know, I I loved I loved the art direction and it was so just you know, the mistakes, the cross outs, HUD's little cartoons on the sides of the pages. I just thought it was just, I'd never seen anything like that. Or there are other magazines um, that were, you know, put out in Hollywood, like No Mag, which, you know, was a little bit more art uh, mm-hmm. focused. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, the LA Weekly, but Flipside was just purely punk. And and I, I, got the magazine and I got their address and I sent an unsolicited submission to them of uh, Danny from Wasted Youth. <laughs> was it from that first show? It was you from shot? that first show. It was from the first roll of film I shot. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> That's awesome. What was that first show, the Circle Jerks and Wasted Youth? Cause once again, like, 
you know, those are kind of like, you know, it's a hairier show than an X show would have been, I imagine. Um, well, you know, I'm not really, I mean, they were the same people, the same at that, at that time, they were the same people that X, um, that whiskey show with the circle jerks and, and wasted youth, uh, well, you know, it was, people loved the bands. People were, the club was full. Um, I shot the show from the stage and it was unlike, you know, just it wasn't like shows later when I photographed the dead Kennedys where I literally had to retreat from the stage because I was afraid I was going to get, you know, jumped on. Um, but it, you know, it was it was energetic and lively. But, you know, again, I didn't I didn't get any sense of danger. But but, you know, I'm a, I'm a 54 year old woman looking back, you know, looking back. <laughs> and and, you know, it's it, when, when you're when you're a 15 year old kid and you don't you don't look at risk the same way. And I look at some of the things that I do and I go, yeah, that was no big deal. And I think about it now and I go to myself, what was I thinking? Yeah. yeah. You know, just some of the things that now I would look at as a risk at the time I thought, eh, nothing of it. Yeah, definitely. Well, I guess also when you're part of it, you know, you're not really looking at it the same way an outsider would be looking at it, you know, it's it's because you're, you're part of the thing that's happening. Yeah, totally. What were some of the other early shows that, you know, stuck out to you or some of the early bands that actually jumped out at you that were fun to um, see? Yeah, I shot Social Distortion a week after that. Social Distortion and Christian Death. <laughs> um, and, I, you know, that turned me into a lifelong Social Distortion fan. And then later that year, about a month later, the first time I shot the Dead Ken- Kennedys um, at Florentine Gardens, that was, you know, one of those memorable shows where, you know, there was an element of danger and it was absolutely nuts. Yeah. Like they just seem to be, you know, and once again, I heard about the circle jerks, but I guess it's a little later on when, when they showed up to town, it would be like an influx of different kids almost like it would just be so yeah. many more people. Mm-hmm. It, but also it's, you know, it's the vibe of the band. Mm. Um, you know, I love Keith and he was a great front man, but his vibe and the energy that he puts out when he sings totally different than Biafra. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I mean, I've seen the stage overrun when when the circle jerks play, at, but I never felt that I got to get out of here, man. Yeah. You know, and I I got that at a couple Kennedy shows where it was just like, OK, time to time to move. <laughs> <laughs> what were some of the other bands that kind of, uh, you know, had that element of danger when you would when you would go and see them? Black Flag was the one. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And 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 it wasn't it wasn't because of the band. Um, necessarily, it was some of the people that were associated with the band, I found to be, you know, less than, than cordial. Um, I, you know, some, it was the only time that I, f- I was ever really bullied at a show was at Black Flag shows. Um, they had a, they had a particularly um, aggressive roadie that for whatever reason, as a 15 year old girl, I, I got under his skin somehow and he would lunge at me and push me around and just generally, you know, be, you know, a jerk. And, and, you know, I'm not a glutton for punishment. I just, so I stayed away from black flag. I, I've seen them play a lot, but I just, I just didn't photograph them, you know, a lot because, because of this specifically. What an asshole. <laughs> Total asshole. I don't even, I, I, you know, it's, and it's been so long ago. I don't, even, I don't have to name him or anything. It's just, uh, I'm sure, I'm, I'm sure that, you know, if you had a call in show, he'd probably call in and go, but I've changed. Yeah, no, I, I think that's one of those people that 
sadly, I've heard stories, um, not about bullying 15 year olds, mind you, but like I've definitely heard stories about that person not being the nicest well, human being back then. Well, let's be clear. I was a 15 year old girl. Yeah. You know, it's exactly who am I threatening? Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. Well, it, it just also, it's, it's, you know, it's also a scene that can be so welcoming too. It's just like, why, why bring that to it? Right. Um, and, and, you know, I just, I was smart enough to just steer clear. What was it like to shoot the Misfits early on? Cause you shot them <laughs> on that first run of LA shows. I think right? I did. I did. Um, how did, how did I end up at that show? There's a story there. It was, um, <laughs> Was it October of 1981 or 82? October 2nd, it was Misfits and Discharge, I think, and oh the Adams. Gosh. <laughs> and and I, I, I'm trying to remember how I ended up at that show. I wanted to see Discharge uh, for sure, but I was friends with um, the guys in, in Youth Brigade, and Glenn Danzig was friends with the guys in Youth Brigade. And I was over at their apartment um, in you know, over the hill in Hollywood and Glenn was there and I met Glenn and I took him out shopping. You know, we just drove around for a while and I met him and then I went to, then I went to the show and it was, it was incredible. Um, just, you know, it was incredible at the time because the music was so good with all the bands, but incredible now from a historical point of view, because it was, you know, what a lineup. Oh Yeah. What a incredible! And you you said the Adams as the opener. Adams, A T O M S, yeah. Oh, oh my gosh, Allison, yeah. you have said one of my most. I, I'm I'm obsessed with this band and fascinated with the Adams. Yeah, because it's Izzy Stradlin from Guns and Roses and and, oh, right. and the guy from DFL. <laughs> Monty, yeah. Monty, sorry, yeah. Monty I always, Essence, I never, yeah. I I bring and them Pat, up and Pat and Pat from Junkyard. Uh, yeah, sorry, that's the thing. It's it's like what a <laughs> what a, a super group prior to you know a proto super group in the making type thing right there but yeah like and there's virtually nothing about them out there on the internet and you're the first person who's come on here keith said he saw him but he said he was wasted and had no recollection of the show oh, um but i have been... photos of them from that show Whoa, oh my you're blowing my mind <laughs> well, pat, pat and i were friends pat musingo and i were friends at the time mm-hmm. and so it was you know hey these are my friends opening up i'm going to take pictures of them <laughs> Oh, that's amazing. I, I will. Uh... Pat was still, he was a senior at Eagle Rock High School. <laughs> Is there any, are there any photos in your book from of the Adams? No, I put the photos of discharge in the book. <laughs> and, 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 you know, it's, it, it's expensive to put out a book. And I get I, it. I, I, you know, I, it, no, no, nothing on Pat or any of those guys. I just, you know, I, I couldn't, I shot over 200 bands. I couldn't put them all in the book. Well, if you ever decide to do a sequel zine, um, oh, because I imagine it'd be uh, slightly less interested in it, but I will definitely buy several copies so I can I'll, see that. I'll tell you what I'll do. I'll, I'll, my next Instagram post, I'll, I'll, po- I'll, I'll put up a photo of the Adams from that show because I've, I've scanned some of them. Oh, I would so, love that. Thank you yeah. very much. That is amazing because <laughs> they, because it's, it's, you know, and we've touched on it a little bit when you talked about the fact that, you know, there's Christian death happening at the same time we X and the go goes like, it's amazing just what was happening in that scene at that time like just the mm-hmm. talent and the the creativity that was coming out of it well and, and you know the creativity comes from multiple directions right there's the musicians but there were also the people putting out zines mm-hmm. and trading tapes and creating t-shirts 
and also booking shows. I'm, you know, the whiskey is a, a, a very prestigious, you know, well-known venue as was the Starwood, as was the Troubadour. But the other thing that, that LA was beautiful for is that there were no end of rental halls, mm. American Legion halls, um, you know, Masonic temple halls, old theaters in, in parts of LA. There's the LA was just this canvas of buildings that people would rent to anybody. Mm-hmm. And you, there may be, you know, only one or two shows there, but you would get to see bands at these, these halls that aside from having, you know, someone's quinceanera, they just, they, they don't have much of, you know, a following. Mm-hmm. What about the police presence? Because you once again hear a lot made of the police presence, particularly at Black Flag shows. But like, was that something that was kind of ever present at these larger shows that they started getting bigger? I wouldn't say that they were ever present, but they were they were horrible. Um, You know, kind of a a, this was a time um, Daryl Gates was the police chief of Los Angeles and he was he was more than an asshole. And, you know, the, the the police under his leadership were you know no better than stormtroopers, and I don't say that lightly. Um, and and the reason the reason I don't say that lightly is I I witnessed them, you know, for no no good reason, coming into shows, beating people up, causing riots when there was absolutely no reason to do that. And it it was just no one. It, it, you know, I get emotional thinking about it because. There, they created problems. There was not a problem, and then they would create a problem. And I remember having this conversation with my dad after you know watching an episode of Chips or something, um, and it, it just he didn't believe me. You know, he was a law and order, you know, gun-toting Republican kind of guy. And I'm like, no, Dad, you don't understand. You know, the cops caused this. And he used to take me to shows, and we went to a show um, at at a place called Bard's Apollo one night and there the cops caused a riot and you know here's my dad world war ii veteran you know law and order you know brooklyn street guy and he's he's just seeing a side of the police that he never believed you know would he would see or he never believed existed Mm -hmm. and it was it was it was shocking and and i've read that that style of policing like particularly like under daryl gates in uh in 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 um, los angeles that's what was exported kind of around everywhere afterwards like that sort of approach of like you know quote unquote crowd control is is kind of the norm now but it really seems like from what i've read that's where it's developing yeah i mean i wouldn't be surprised i mean i don't i haven't delved into the history of it but i i absolutely wouldn't be surprised because some of the tactics that they employed for, you know, if you could see me making air quotes going crowd control, um, you know, know, driving up on a sidewalk and opening your car door and running people off the sidewalk, kettling people um, so they can't leave. You tell them to leave and then you block the exits or their exit points where they can't leave. And then you come out them on both sides and beat the crap out of them in the middle. I mean, these are things that you see that you saw the police doing during um black lives matter um protests so yeah you know not to transition too awkwardly but to back to a much more uh, pleasant topic i guess um certainly for me once again is is mystic records oh Uh, yeah you eventually become a photographer there and that's another thing that i'm obsessed with 
Yeah. Uh, uh, how I did that? I my career for Doug Moody. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's <laughs> he's he's a person who's very much uh, you know uh, uh, a con- uh, there's a conflicted kind of record on on the show about him. I find depending on who the artist is. But... Yeah. Well, it depends on who you talk to. Yeah. So here's here's you know here's my take on 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 Doug Moody who you know, gave me carte blanche to be in that studio and photograph bands for their albums. You know, if it wasn't for Doug, you know, letting me be there and, you know, be this sort of in-house-ish type of photographer, you know, I wouldn't have made some of the connections and lifelong friendships that I made. But, you know, Doug, you know, his his idea, I don't want to, you know, speak for, for you know, hit him, but he had a business and he's putting out records. And, you know, these are young kids that want their records and maybe they're not, they're not, um, you know, savvy in business or understanding what their rights are as artists or, you know, just getting the best deal. But, you know, Doug put out their records and then bands weren't satisfied with, you know, the terms of him putting out their records. And, you know, it's just everyone was young and inexperienced. So, you know, the conflicting things that, you know, I've, I've, I've heard, you know, uh, from from Doug is, you know, putting out records or putting out re- remixes or compilations without people's permission or without bands permission. It's like, well, you know, did you guys even work out a contract? You know, I, I remember um, my friends and Dr. No, their first albums were put out on on Mystic. And, you, you know, you can't complain if you if you don't, you know, if you, you don't advocate for yourself you know, these, these kids just wanted to put out records, you know, they weren't thinking of making money or what, what happens next. I just wanted records out. Yeah. And it was, and, that, and it was, they put out so many records too. Oh, like, they did. And they put a lot of shitty records, but they've also <laughs> put out a lot of good records. Yeah. Well, that's the other thing is like, you know, talk, for everyone from, you know, Hernandez brothers doing love and rock is to like, you know, yourself to, to, you know, Minutemen connections to Josh Brolin connect. Like there's just so many things that tie back to this label that just put out this breadth of, of music. And for a long run too, like went to like 89, I think that he was still putting uh, out new records, right? Was it? Yeah. I, I don't know. I, 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 let's see, when did I, I stop going to mystic? It might've been, it was a few years before there it wasn't as late as 89, but yeah, I mean, some of the bands that I work with, you know, like Dr. No, they were already on Metal Blade by then. And some of the other bands that were on Mystic earlier, I don't think they were putting out records like Battalion of Saints. Um, a, a, you know, I don't know where Aggression ended up, um, but all of the Oxnard bands had put out a bunch of records on Mystic. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, Aggression winds up, I think, they, they went up on BYO. I think they do the LP. Yeah, I don't, I don't know. Back on Mystic, I think, again. So. Yeah, I, I don't. <laughs> I have photos on their first album, but I can't remember who put that out. Who, uh, who was the first band for Mystic you shot? Do you remember? Um, wait, let me think about that. How did I even, I'm just trying to think of how did I even end up there to begin with? <laughs> I, I just, because it was right across the street or almost across the street from the Cafe de Grand. Mm-hmm. And I don't even remember how I even ended up there in the first place so i don't remember i just remember suddenly i'm there a lot (laughs) you know but i don't remember how i met doug or phil who was their um their sound guy or not excuse me their art their like um layout artist phil raves yeah they definitely it like it seems like that cafe de grand was like a, a new scene that kind of emerged at a certain point with like a america's hardcore no effects scared straight like a whole kind of like 
I guess, another wave of bands, it seems? Yeah, it was definitely a second wave of bands, um, but it, and it became, um, you know, ground zero for a lot of those bands. Um, mm-hmm. I, I, you know, a lot of the Oxnard bands played there, but I saw Battalion of Saints there a lot. A lot of, you know, just LA bands that, you know, if you didn't see them there, you, you probably didn't see them at all because they just, you know, were just punk bands for a little while and they disappeared. But, you know, the Cafe de Grand was was very, very um, instrumental in that sort of that second wave of small, small, ve- small venues that had a lot of shows. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, it just like it, it's, you know, be it Rich Kids and LSD or No Effects or just, you know, these are bands that that really shaped the way punk was going to sound and like ultimately usher in that that huge commercial boom in the late 90s yeah yeah i was just you know it was uh, mike burkett and i were just talking last week actually mm-hmm. you know I, i'm gonna help him on something that he's doing and you know i just remember we were kids we were both misfits fans <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it all comes back to the misfits comes, yeah misfits <laughs> um what were uh some of the other more memorable bands that you remember working with at, at mystic or or in re- sessions there um well yeah i mentioned battalion of saints and mm-hmm. that's how i met them was there um and i ended up uh, photographing them a lot and there's an image of chris smith that's on the cover of my book so i re- that they were one of the bands that i really you know connected with over at mystic oh and then then also i i didn't meet them at mystic but I had this, you're going to laugh, this really incredibly existential conversation with El Duce one afternoon there. <laughs> you know, I, I, I kid you not. It was, it was broad daylight. I was there for, you know, taking photos um, of, I think it might've been the Battalion of Saints or something. And Eldon was there and he wasn't drunk and he wasn't on a high. He was just, you know, Eldon. And we talked about his family and he was from Seattle and his family, you know, how he had, you know, ancestors that were on the civil in the civil war. And we just talked about him, you know, he talked about himself and his life and he was coherent and it turned out to be this like great conversation. Wow. He's, he's much a person like Doug Moody that seems to have, you know, like Penelope Sears was just on the show a couple of weeks ago and was like, he was a bad person. And then there's other people that talk about what a great person he was. And it's so weird. He played in a band with the Screamers when he was in Seattle, too. With He played it. With, with, yeah, he did. Um, but he 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 had already obviously I'm in Seattle now, but he was firmly in the mentors. And honestly, I could understand I could understand um, Penelope's point of view of being a bad person you know, he kind of was, if you think about it, you know, he, he would go up to some woman, you know, I've seen him do it. And he's like, you know, Hey bitch, you want to suck my dick? Excuse me if I, I don't know if I could say that on the air, but, and and people would laugh at laugh, laugh at him because it's El Duce. And, you know, Guar played one night at the, at this club called the country club. And a girl got up on stage and did exactly that to him. Um, And it's, you know, it's this persona that he had, that if you're a feminist now, looking back, you're like, this guy's a bad person. Look what he sings about. Look what he does. Look what he says. And everyone treated him like a joke. But to me, he was a really tragic figure. He, uh, his, his life was one big cry for help. Mm. You know, he was, he, was, he was impaired and people egged him on because they liked to see 
him perform for them like a trained monkey. But I always tried to look past that with him. And as a result of that, he always treated me with respect. And, you know, I enjoyed talking to him. I introduced him to my dad, you know, <laughs> I, I just at the Cafe de Grand one night, I'm like, Eldon, meet my dad, you know, go over there and talk about war stories. You know, I mean, that was, and, you know, I tell this to people, they couldn't believe at the time. They're like, your dad's over there with El Duce. I'm like, yeah, so. <laughs> when did you start traveling for shows or, or what was the first shows? Did you like, did you go down to San Diego to shoot Italian Saints ever? I, I, I went down to San Diego um, with Dr. No to play at mm. a show. I didn't, you know, I, if I traveled that far away from LA, I'd usually go with bands that were playing. Mm-hmm. Um, and I went to San Diego and I shot Discharge um, in their metal years, <laughs> which we don't talk about. Um, and I, I would go as far north as San Francisco. Uh, I drive up there to see shows because uh, I had friends in Maximum Rock and Roll and I could stay at the Maximum Rock and Roll house. Um, but I didn't, I didn't go drive across country or drive, you know, into the Midwest beyond tour with bands. I just stayed in the, in the, um, LA, Southern California area. Those three scenes that you mentioned there, San Francisco and San Diego and and Los Angeles, obviously, they all seem so different. What were your, um, sort of interpretations of it or, or you know, your takeaways from going to these different places versus Los Angeles? Well, you know, San Francisco always said to me, and maybe it was just the dead Kennedy's influence was much more political. Mm -hmm. And, and I, I attribute that to my relationship with maximum rock and roll, which, you know, had, had a very, you know, political aspect to it. And the bands I felt, you know, mostly, you know, dead Kennedy's influence had a much, much more political message uh, Los Angeles, uh, to me, you know, the, there were bands with political messages, but a lot of them were, you know, straight edge, skate punk, it's just straight thrash, you know, mm-hmm. America's hardcore, that type of, you know, stuff. Um, and, and, and San Diego, you know, I didn't spend a lot of, a lot of time in San Diego, but it's, you know, much more of, of a, of a surf influenced area kind of like ventura in northern cal you know up in, up north a bit so it was much more influenced you know by by a surf community that was you know what i thought but they you know completely different cities completely different vibe in those cities and san diego was also um got a lot of people from tijuana that could come to shows because it was just over the border so it wasn't that far if you were a punk in mexico mm-hmm. to come to a show in in in, in san diego yeah, I spent a, I spent a little time um, in Tijuana. It all, it really does feel like it's it's kind of one city with a border cutting it in half. Yeah, I think it's a little different now, but uh, you know, it was really easy to go back and forth um, between um, you know California and Mexico. You could I went there for parties. I went there for you know just weekends. It was really super easy. I was there a few years ago and I felt even then, um, even with like a five hour wait to get across that border, there were still kids like living on one side of the border, going to school on the other, or, yeah. you know, it felt like there was still that kind of thing, but I guess it would have been much more easier then. Yeah. There was never a five hour wait at the border. Yeah. I'll tell you that. <laughs> yeah. um, so I also heard that San Diego from people that were from that scene was, was somehow a more violent scene. I don't mean to keep coming back to the violence thing, but it just seems like something that's brought up a lot about these scenes. Well, you know, I, I can't really, I, I didn't spend a lot of time in San Diego, mm-hmm. 
but I don't know what it is about coastal communities and punk rock violence. <laughs> but <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, I, I was just thinking of Venice, Huntington Beach, San Diego. It's like, what is with you guys, like with the Pacific Ocean and punk rock, you know, <laughs> hooliganism? I don't, I don't know. <laughs> well, once again, like, you know, Keith brought up an interesting point, which I never thought about, but he was like, cause these are, these are like kind of jock communities just by the nature of being by the beach like people are more outdoorsy more aggressive like you know even if it's just like fishing or beach volleyball or something like it is a different mentality yeah um i was just thinking of like a a jock mentality and i didn't pay attention to that you know i just i didn't i didn't subscribe to that i just did my own thing (laughs) what was it like when did you move up to seattle I moved to Seattle in 1990. And I guess what was it like um, prior to getting moving up there, um, you know, in that period in Los Angeles? Because it seems like, once again, more of uh, a lean years before there's like another boom in the late 80s in there. Like, obviously, metal's taken off and is huge. But Yeah, by that time, I don't know what happened to me, but I was, <laughs> I, I ended up shooting a lot of metal acts towards the late 80s. Um, a lot of it was, you know, the punk crossover mm-hmm scene um had me going to a lot of shows um the balboa theater was one of those halls i was telling you about in south central la that had a lot of these crossover shows for a period of time uh so you know punk at that point had sort of morphed into more of you know less of pure punk and more speed metal metal you know sort of influence coming into the music what about bands like, cause I guess it's also the birth of like, you know, bad religion kind of comes back to the known um, and you, and Pennywise is starting to get going um, a little bit around then too. So was that stuff, stuff that you were picking up on or is it, is metal kind of the Penny, dominant thing? Pennywise was way after I left. Bad religion was always a band. You know, they, I, I, I knew those guys, you know, they were some of the first people I met, you know, and they, they were always there. They played a lot of shows. They were always in the scene. I don't think, you know, they disappeared from where we were, mm-hmm. um, you know, Pennywise became a thing after I'd left Los Angeles. Yeah. Like, I guess they put out that first seven inch in 89, but it's not really yeah. a thing until <laughs> a little bit later. Yeah. And, you know, that, that was not, you know, that was po- post me, I guess I had moved to Seattle and was starting to shoot the Seattle bands. And what was your impressions of Seattle when you got up there? Cause that's like, you know, just as things are about to explode. Yeah, for you know, forgive all of my Seattle people, friends. They're all gonna like you know come show up at my house with pitchforks. But I thought, what is with this town? <laughs> you know, there's like nothing going on here, and this is you know arguably at one of the 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 most influential points in 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 the Seattle music scene. And you know, you couldn't get dinner after 9 p.m. unless you know you tried really hard. So. You know, Seattle was just on the verge of exploding and there were a few, a few venues, but they, they had these weird teenage dance laws where, you know, you had to be 21 to go into a club. So a whole generation of kids to even get to see bands, you know, Mm -hmm. in LA, we didn't have, well, most of the time we didn't have that. So it was, you know, bars had bands playing, but there weren't those, a lot of those shows that had these all ages big shows um they they didn't i don't think there were a lot of those in seattle at least not when i was there so who were sort of the first bands that you kind of picked up on there because i know you obviously i've seen your photos of accused and allison chains but like who were the, the first bands that you 
took to you? Um, Soundgarden mm-hmm. was because I had photographed them in, in Los Angeles before I moved up. So it was, you know, Soundgarden, Mudhoney, um, Alice in Chains, Accused, later Grunt Truck, Skin Yard, Dehumanizers. Um, oh, I love the Dehumanizers. Um, who else? Uh, and then um, Hammerbox, Slam Suzanne, The Gits. Um, oh my, um, what else am I, I'm, I'm, there's like a whole bunch of bands, Candlebox, um, you know, just a lot of bands up here. And then there were also, the, Seattle also had a really good emergent metal scene, you know, Sanctuary, Bitter End, you know, Panic, um, Forced Entry, you know, they had a, a pretty, a pretty decent metal scene as well. It, it feels like there's just, you know, once again, it's so small, um, geographically speaking, compared to, I guess, essentially compared to Los Angeles. But, you know, you mentioned that metal scene, you, there's that, you know, the grunge scene, whatever that would become. There's also mm-hmm. like a hardcore scene with bands like Brotherhood. Uh-huh. Brotherhood. Yeah. Yep. Oh, I, oh, here's the one I forgot. Nirvana. Gosh, I knew I was missing somebody. Yeah. <laughs> like, how did I forget? <laughs> Oops. Oh, Presidents of the United States of America, the Posies. <laughs> Like, uh, oops, sorry, <laughs> forgot that. <laughs> well, like you know, I think I think we all knew that that was there. So. <laughs> what did? What was your take on them? Because that's another band that when people have differing opinions on. Uh, Which one? Nirvana. Like when you saw them back then. Um, I, I liked them. You know, I I didn't photograph them. Uh, you know, it was one of the tragedies of my career. But, you know, I thought they were just a hell of a band to watch. Mm -hmm. You know, their music is incredible. Mm -hmm. It's still incredible. Listen to it now. It's still incredible. Yeah, no, it's amazing. It's also, I find funny that how many people that just kind of, I guess, grew up around it are just like, yeah, it was just like another band that was happening at the time. It pretty much. (laughs) Did you have a sense that any of these bands, like any of that stuff that was going to happen in the scene was about to happen? Because you've been through a lot in Los Angeles and seen a lot happen. Oh, I totally knew it. Um, and, and I'm not saying that to be smug. It's just that I, I had this sense from when I started taking pictures that this is a historical opportunity. And I knew that I was capturing something that was a once in a lifetime historical event, you know, mm-hmm. a period in time, you know, not unlike say the birth of rock and roll. I mean, and maybe that's probably a little bit too romantic, but you know, there is never gonna be another time in history like there was that, the access to people, the lack of technology. You know, this was before smartphones. This is, if you wanted to record a show, you have a tape recorder and hold up a boom. You know, I mean, there wasn't, you know, there, there wasn't a lot, no one had smartphones. Hell, no one had cell phones. I mean, it was just a very analog sort of existence. You'd go to a show, you'd buy an album or a CD and you'd get a t-shirt. There wasn't social media and it was just, it was very simple mm-hmm. and there will never be another time like that again. Yeah. It, and it's funny because, you know, even though now the technology, like you're saying, is is all in our pockets at all times, people don't really treasure it in the way they do like as hard as it was to record a show back then there seems like there's bootlegs of most of those bands yet more recently people like you know they'll film part of a song to post on their instagram but no one's sitting there you know recording a whole show with a boom mic sneaking it in there anymore no no people are holding up their their iphones which 
by the way, you know, humiliatingly take really good pictures. I did this, I, I did this thing where um, my, my friends in channel three were touring with um, fear. And I went and shot their show at a place in Seattle called the Showbox. And I brought my professional 35 millimeter SLR camera and my iPhone. And I shot the bands on both. <laughs> <laughs> and I looked at the pictures on my iPhone and I just, I never picked up my 35 millimeter camera again. Mm. <laughs> so can I even call myself a photographer at that point? You know? <laughs> well, I think it's all about also being there, like capturing those moments, right? Like, yeah. that's, and like, that's the thing, like you, you captured so many just moments of, this energy that like, you know, I, I think more than just the film or the camera, like it was right. you capturing this stuff. And and I think that the ability to be able to do that stems from the fact that early on, there was not a delineation between audience and band. Mm -hmm. If you look at early punk shows, you'll see that, you know, people are around on the stage. They're sitting there. They're, they're very close to the band. The band is very close to the audience. There isn't this, elevation of the of the band away from the audience later what you see in shows where where they put barriers in front of the stage and they had bouncers all over the place that that and you 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 know couldn't get as close to the band as you wanted to you know that that these early this early time was just very special because it was very intimate and I could get in there and literally get in someone's face and take their picture and be part of what was going on. And instead of just being, you know, an, a, a, a um, viewer, I was a participant because I was so close to that. And that's one of the things I miss about shooting shows now is that you don't have that intimacy with the bands anymore. What, what, who are some of your favorite bands of all time to shoot? Like, who do you think are some of the great, you know, photogenic bands? Um, the great photogenic bands. I did a, I did a, a thing on um, Facebook a while ago. I did a poll. It's like trying to get people to guess what band I photographed the most. Um, and Blast from Santa Cruz won. Awesome band. Yes. <laughs> Bar none. My, the most favorite band I ever wanted to shoot. They were just amazing. So um, I loved shooting them. Um, I loved shooting early Soundgarden. Um, you know, their presence was just incredible. Dead Kennedys were a favorite of mine to shoot. Um, Jello Biafra had these, this great pantomime. You know, these mm. faces and these movements that just captured really well. Um, so, and I also loved shooting Social Distortion. It seems like all these people, like, you know, especially Jello and and Mike Ness must have been, well, you see it, I guess, in another state of mind, but like looking in the mirror, pulling these faces because they definitely know how to like they look like models up there on stage. But they've always been like that. That's so weird. It's like I, I looked at my pictures of Mike Ness that I shot in 1981 at the Whiskey. And he's it's I, I uh, when I say, Mike, you haven't changed. It's Mike. You haven't changed. You were <laughs> incredible then. And, you know, and 40 years later, you're still incredible. It, it, you know, it's he had he he had a he has a presence about him that he's had that confidence as a young man and as you know sort of an elder statesman of alternative music <laughs> and, and you mentioned nirvana like who would be some of the other bands that you wish you had shot or just you know didn't get around <laughs> shooting? minor threat yeah <laughs> that, that was the other one were you at oh, that show that, uh no i had a nose job and uh <laughs> didn't go to the show yeah <laughs> 
Sorry, uh, Ian, rhinoplasty kept me from seeing you. <laughs> that is the best story. <laughs> yeah. Who are who are the worst bands to shoot? Like, be it like, you know, not necessarily because they're bad people, like in the case of, you know, Black Flag Roadies and stuff. But I mean, like, just because it's, it's difficult to capture them. Oh, my God. Bad brains. I spent mm. like five years trying to get one good picture of them. <laughs> and I love that band. And, and I... I, I couldn't do it. I just couldn't do it. I have some some good pictures of bad brains, but I look at some of the stuff like Glenn, Glenn Friedman shot of, um, you know, I forgot to mention Glenn. Boy, sorry, Glenn. Um, <laughs> you know, he was always at shows too. Mm-hmm. But he has the most incredible pictures of bad brains. I look at mine. I'm like, what the heck happened? And, you know, HR was bouncing around and he moved so quickly that my shots were always just one second off, you know, just <laughs> And, and I was just, I never liked my pictures of Bad Brains. So that was the, the most difficult band. And I love them. That's not, you know, in a bad way. I did some very nice portraits of them at, a, um, at someone's house in Hollywood that were nice. But my live shots of them are just, they kind of suck. <laughs> <laughs> well, it, it seems like a, you know, a, a good band to have to keep trying again with because you always get to see them a few more times. <laughs> Yeah, it, I tried. I've got a, there's one in my book. I don't mind, but if you know, I look at the stuff that's out there, and and you know, I I I could have done better. I wish I did better. What I, I've seen the photos you've taken of the stains. What was it like shooting the stains? Um, or what were those shows even like? Well, the the they were they, you know they were always part of a when I shot the scenes they were you know part of a larger a larger um, show I shot them at Devonshire Downs that was the first time I shot them I think it was Black Flag DOA and the Stains was the the um, oh, lineup. lineup and yeah and and Rudy um, Navarro he had a hearse that he drove around in <laughs> um, but also it, you know, as, as being, you know, people of color, you know, it was nice to see some diversity in the bands. <laughs> mm-hmm. And they're definitely a band that I think, you know, like recently, like the last sort of four or five years, people's obsession with them has really grown. I think there's a documentary. They were a good, they were a good band. Mm-hmm. Oh, the record's incredible. Like mm-hmm. that, that SST catalog, like you mentioned, of course, Blast and, and early Soundgarden, but it's just, once again, like maybe not the best at necessarily paying some of the bands from what people have said on the show, but at the same time, like what an ear for all different bands that would become important, legendary. Yeah, um, totally. I, I, I totally agree. Um, I've kept you for a long time, Allison. No, that's, some, that's, the, all right. that's all right. At some point in the future, would you come back and do a part two? Oh yeah. Yeah. I could, I can, I love doing this. I just, I want my art to be seen I want people uh, you know, to have access to it. Um, this is why I've been on this, this journey of scanning all my images and putting them out there on social media. Um, and just, I want people to see them. I'm not getting any younger. Uh, and, you know, I'm trying to think about what my legacy is going to be, you know, and, and what, what pleases me the most is that I um talk to people that have contacted me and say, Hey, you got pictures of, China White. I'm like, yeah, I got pictures of China White. James is my dad. You know, I mean, and <laughs> yeah. it was it, it, it's to 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 see these second generation of you know people's kids growing up, or you know, looking at their parents and buying images of mine that this is their their dad or their mother. And I just that that makes that brings me joy to see that you know that another generation will discover my work. And you know, I really want people to see it. 
and have it be accessible. Well, and as I was telling you, you know, before we got on this, the, the podcast, like your photos are just so key for people like myself that weren't there and are obsessed with this music to kind of, you know, like it's, it's photojournalism, like in, in the truest sense, because you, you were in the middle of the action, like you're in the pit <laughs> shooting all this stuff. Yeah. And, and it was photojournalism. My fifth period um, journalism class with Mr. Yeah. Bickerstaff at North Hollywood High School. <laughs> <laughs> I, yeah, I, I submitted my 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 punk rock photography more than once. Oh, that's awesome. Did, did he appreciate the music or is it just based t- totally on the images? I, I, I don't know if he appreciated the music, but he liked the pictures and <laughs> my articles that I wrote. You know, it was just it was interesting, um, you know, because I was writing for Maximum Rock and Roll and for Flipside and, and you know, turning them in as homework. <laughs> <laughs> like okay hey check it out i had something in the new york times today look do i get credit <laughs> <laughs> you you cracked the matrix there you figured out how to get paid to do homework i totally did yeah i got <laughs> I, I got paid to do homework <laughs> uh, paid, for, paid for my college too <laughs> oh that, yeah, well, that's amazing that's awesome um so what's the reception been like for your stuff like you're you know you're putting it out to like a whole new generation of people yeah. And um, if I found that, you know, especially on social media, if I make one mistake, oh, people are idiots. Oh, oh people are brutal to me. Yeah. You know, I'll, I'll misspell a name or I'll, 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 I'll do a wrong venue. And, you know, within seconds, you know, the, the trolls come at me. I'm like, look, guys, this is coming out of my head. Yeah. No. It's, <laughs> you know? And it's like, it's like a bunch of fucking people that are reading about it on the internet complaining to someone that was fucking there and the only reason they know about it is because of your photos right and and or or people arguing with me that weren't there about some minutiae and i have to say no i'm sorry you know yeah no it's it's it's, people are ridiculous and it's uh especially now um with instagram like it's just you know the way people act like they own these images and the way that they were there is fucking weird Recently, I mean, I say within the last year, I started watermarking my images. Ed Culver and I used to have arguments over this. He says, you got to watermark your images. And I said, I'm not going to watermark my images. They look like shit when you watermark your images. And then, you know, my images started to get co-opted. And that picture of circle one that you saw, Mm -hmm. um, someone had co-opted it and claimed credit for it and put it on their Pinterest page. (laughs) And, And when I saw that, I'm like, okay, this is why we can't have nice things. Yeah. Yeah. And I, you know, started watermarking my images right across the center, you know, almost like a fuck you, but you're <laughs> seeing it for free. You know, come on guys, I'm, I'm, I'm sharing you unpublished images for free. You want to buy one? I'll take the watermark off. And people were coming at me, you know, of, of just like, it looks like shit when you do this, it's, you know, get with the times, you know, lady that, you know, you don't own anything. This is the internet age. Everything is everybody's. I'm like, horse, horse shit. You know, this is, this is my work, my copyright you know, my page, my rules. So if you want to see my pictures on Instagram, they're going to have a watermark on them. If you want to share them, since you don't know how to type my name for credit, you get the credit built into the photo. Look at that all for free. Well, I I don't care how big the watermark is. If I can see the Adams photo finally and put, put faces to this, you know, name that's haunted my dreams, I will, I will be very happy. 
Really? Do you, do you, you know, do you talk to, to Monty or Pat? Do you ever, do you know those guys? No, I've never met any of them. It's, it's, it's so weird because, you know, you brought up Youth Brigade earlier. Like it, I'm obsessed with uh, record collecting. I'm surrounded by records right now. And the Extreme and the Zeros both put out their seven inch on this label that the only other record they put out was, you know, seven years later, they put out an Adam seven inch, which is a live recording. And that's where I found out about it. And it was all of a sudden, it was like, oh my gosh, it's like a DFL Guns N' Roses, like pre-band. Pre-band, yeah. That's like, like, it's it's mind-blowing. Like, how could this this thing exist? And how can we not be talking about it? You know, like, much like we talked about, you know, the Tupperwares with members of the Screamers and Nikki Six was in it for a minute. And, uh, and, and El Duce, of course, was in it. Like, how are we not? These are the bands that I want to know about. Like, we, we've got enough of these documentaries about some of these bands. These are the ones we should be studying. We should totally be studying. And we should also be studying, like, the relationship of, like, Motley Crue with punk bands. I mean, yeah. these the shows at the Whiskey would have, you know, a metal band at night and then a punk band earlier in the show. I mean, I saw... I saw, you know, these crazy combinations of bands. They're what I'm now I'm blanking on the name, but there's like some sort of like power pop band that I think the guy from the Simple Tones uh, joined after Vince Neil left when Vince Neil was a singer in it. And it's kind of like glammy power pop. I wish I could remember the name right now. They did a seven inch, but without Vince Neil singing with the guy from the Simple Tones singing. Huh, and I can't, I can't remember that one. I'm totally blanking on it. Anyway, I've, I've punished you long enough. And, and <laughs> yeah, sorry about that. <laughs> no, please know anytime you want to come back, I'd love to have you on the show. Yeah. Um, you know, just find me on, you know, the listeners can find me as Allison Braun photo on Instagram and I got books for sale on my website, allisonbraun.com. So well, thank you for years of uh, giving images to the sounds that I, could, that I was listening to. <laughs> thank you for having me. It's been a pleasure. Thank you, Allison, for coming on the show. And you heard right there, Allison will be back for a part two at some point in the near future. And uh, yeah, once again, check out her photography, uh, check out her website, check out her Instagram, and also definitely pick up that book, um, AllisonBron.com is the website right there. And uh, speaking of, uh, did I say future? Ah, fuck it. Sometimes I forget it. Anyway, coming up on the next episode of the show, we got, we got a, we got a wild one for you. Joe Manganello is on the show next. And uh, yep, that's right. Deathstroke. Deathstroke's here. El Cid. My wife and my kids are stoked. They are very, very excited about this guest. And so am I, because not only do I get to talk to him about music, but I also get to talk to him about Dungeons and Dragons. So that's like, you know, I'm we're all ticking boxes off with next week's guest. And Joe is awesome. So uh, I can't wait to speak to you then. Uh, that's it. Remember, as always, Black Lives Matter. The lives of indigenous people matter. We need to protect trans kids and we need to help trans people protect themselves. Uh, go out there and get informed right now. Read about people's experiences read um read about what's going on you know uh get involved sign up for organizations be involved with demonstrations donate we need to smash fascism this is basically what this all comes down to because it sucks and that 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 that's that uh also uh go out there and make your own culture you know because uh it, it it helps it helps with your mental health and uh it helps you uh I don't know. It helps. It helps. 
and you don't have to put it out there, but you can. And then people respond to it potentially and you can meet new people and build community that way and stuff. So be creative is basically what it comes down to. Make a zine, start a label, just draw, just paint, play an instrument, whatever, whatever works for you. Uh, wear a mask. Definitely please wear a mask. Uh, wash your hands. Definitely wash your hands. Um, uh, sign your organ donor cards. Definitely, because, you know, they don't, they don't, they don't matter once you're gone, you know, those things. So give them away and then maybe help someone else. Uh, it's a, it's a real nice thing to do. And, uh, this is another thing that, uh, you know, I feel weird recommending because I'm really new to it, but I found it's been incredibly beneficial for me in the last few weeks. Um, try meditating and it took me forever to do this. I've been trying for like 10 years to do this shit and, uh, yeah, it really helps. It, it just it took a long time to kind of click, but it's it's really been helping me. And I, I'm new to it, so try it. You know, there's there's tons of shit on the internet. You can try it for free. You know, not you don't have to buy an app. You know, you can. You know, it's it's, it's probably easier with one of those. But you know, there's shit on the internet to try it out first and 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 see if it works for you. But and stick with it because it can be frustrating, very frustrating uh, at first. But when it clicks, it clicks. Um, and yeah, that's it. I'm not, these are no set of rules. I'm not telling you how to live your life, but at the same time, these are things that, uh, I believe. So that is that. Thank you for listening. As always, I, I love talking to you and I love doing this thing. Thank you to my brother and thank you to, uh, to you. All right. See you next episode. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.